Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon. And with me, she is more exciting than Delilah Dawson and Zoraida Cordova at Disneyland together because that is a real thing that happened and I've had that in my notes for a while now waiting to to be able to use it it's Lindsay I don't know if I'm more exciting than that but I'm I feel like I'm more excited than that just to talk about this book I get to go to Batu pretty soon we have so much going on with clashing sabers there's there's so much to be excited about it's really like it's almost overwhelming with how much is going on but at the same time i feel like we're we're all going like 100 miles per hour and i'm going you know 100 miles per hour especially with the start of school where like it's kind of like my philosophy on moving i can move really quickly because i just don't stop moving stuff like no matter how tired i am i don't stop to eat i don't stop like i'll grab water and then i keep moving stuff even up three flights of stairs because if I stop, then I'm going to realize the pain and I'm not going to be able to go back and do it again. That's what I feel like right now. Like if I stop, I'm going to realize how good things are and then I'm not going to work for more stuff. I don't want that to happen, people. No, none of us do. Keep working, Brandon. We need you. Oh, man. It's fun. It's fun. So um, we, of course, just a couple weeks ago had our episode with the wonderful Vanessa Marshall, who is as amazing as you would think she is and more uh, and we had the wonderful mar from twitter uh on last week so definitely make sure you are subscribed to the network we also had our music episode which was super dope um because apparently i'm from 1983 and yeah it was just a lot of fun so make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get them all and Lindsay, what have you been reading lately other than Black Spire, which is the book we're talking about today. Um, I've been reading, you know me, I'm, I really, really do love my job. I'm in sales, so I read a lot of sales books, um, a lot of leadership books. But the one I've been diving into most recently kind of takes a different spin on things. It is The Way of the Seal. And it is written by a former Navy SEAL who went into the business world and became a bit of an entrepreneur afterwards. And it is just his take on leadership and what it takes to be successful. And instead of doing the typical, you know, you can either be a servant leader, there's, you know, all the, yeah, all yeah. the regular classics. It really is about diving into your own personal why. And it's not just the regular, um, I want strength, uh, I want to protect my family, I want money. It really is going a lot deeper into your personal why and how you can carry that mission throughout everything that you do. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. I, I can't really, I mean, I could if I had to sit and read that kind of stuff, but I listen to a lot of Eric Thomas and Gary Vaynerchuk. And one of the things, I mean, y- you talked about the why and Eric Thomas talks about that all the time. And, and Gary Vaynerchuk says something that I really like, like 
so many people try to worry about fixing their flaws, but that's not really going to help them because then at the best, they're going to be average at a bunch of things. He's like, lean into what you're really good at, you know, um, and, and kind of it sounds like that's a very similar thing. It's like lean into the things that you're good at and use those to your advantage. Very, very similar. Cool, cool. Well, I had an awesome story uh, I wanted to share with with you and with the listeners. So, uh, as I said, school started up, so I've got a whole new crop of kids. Um, they are wonderful. It, it's honestly, I get to the end of the day and I'm like, nothing went wrong, and it kind of scares me a little bit. I'm I'm waiting for the cataclysm to hit. Um, Oh, look at that word choice there with the book. You see, you see what I did there? I didn't even mean that. Very nice. Um, so, of course, I, I start with Star Wars because we start with uh, our fiction unit. And so I use that as the basis to, to teaching them Star Wars. And I use the little golden books of the George Lucas uh, six films. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to do all nine films at some point. Uh, that would be super cool. But... This group of kids has really gotten into it, and we read uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, and, and we finished that book, and we have been talking you know, about the characters and why they were doing things, and I had them do this uh, kind of analysis of, of Anakin Skywalker. What I did, I said, all right, imagine you can end Hitler. And save the you know some six million Jewish people who were slaughtered by him through genocide, right? And explain to them like what happened there and things. You can end him, but you're going to lose the person most important in your life. Or you can save him and save the most important person in your life, but those six million Jewish people are going to, you know, pass away and. My idea was, you know, getting them the idea of the rock and the hard place where Anakin was in the story and really forcing them to be honest with, like, what's the choice that you would make, right? And so mm-hmm. we got into all these personal choices and how, like, we like to think things. It was super deep conversation. It was, it was, it really went well for what I wanted it to do. And the kids were really receptive to it, which, of course, that's a hard subject matter for 10 year olds. So the moment I knew it really clicked was I had this girl, we, we finished reading uh, Revenge of the Sith, and I was just about to send them to their seat. And she goes, wait, 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 Mr. Boylan. I said, yeah, go ahead. And she said, if Anakin didn't turn to the dark side, Padme's heart wouldn't have been broken and she wouldn't have died and none of the bad stuff would have happened anyway. Whoa. And I was like, in my brain, I was like, that's what I'm teaching tomorrow. And they already have it today. (laughs) So like it was super But she got that at 10? Yes. It was absolutely amazing because I mean they the we had a little bit of a conversation about broken heart syndrome and because they kind of I mean, they had never really heard of anything like that. So they were asking if it was like actually, you know, possible because of course we're reading a fantasy book. And oh my, the, the the even cooler thing was then I got like surrounded by like 14 kids who refused to go back to their desk until I answered them, answered their questions. It was so super cool. So, oh, it's going to be such a good year. It really is. And I mean, guys, the power of Star Wars, the the ability 
to have conversations like I mentioned, you know, about a, a, an impossible choice between Hitler and, and somebody you, you care about is not something I'm bringing into the classroom lightly, right? Like, I'm really trying to get them to to analyze the stories and the characters. And it's really easy to go, oh, Anakin turned to the dark side. You know, he's a terrible person. But he had, you know, he had good intentions. Does it justify what he did? Absolutely not. But it brings that understanding to him. And the power of Star Wars to connect with all these kids all across the world, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Oh, I can't wait to hear how it goes the rest of the year with this. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully we'll, uh, they, they want the Ray and Finn and, and everybody. So hopefully the, uh, the, what is it? The last Jedi or not last Jedi, the rise of Skywalker, uh, young reader comes out soon enough where we can dig into those. Cause. Oh, and get that in this year. Could, That'd be great. Could you imagine like, If they're like this at the beginning of the year, getting them to talk about Ben Solo. I mean, then not only will you have Ben Solo at the end of the year, you can even really go into more of a Soka story. We'll have the seventh season of Clone Wars. There's there's so much you can talk about between the difference between Ahsoka and Maul, who both left their respective orders and what they do after they leave those orders. And do they leave the beliefs behind? There's there's going to be so much for you to dive into by the end of the year. They're going to love it. I really just want to teach a Star Wars class. Can I just teach us? You know what? Forget Forget everything else. I'm just going to teach a Star Wars class. I mean, they have, you know, Harry Potter classes and honestly, Lord though, of the Rings classes. Yeah. It shouldn't be that crazy of an idea. Honestly, that's like my my dream is to go back and teach college classes on like Star Wars, Harry Potter. And I just want to get paid to to talk about the stuff that I talk about anyways, basically, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's yeah. the dream. That's the dream. I mean, if we're being honest, though, the real dream is sitting down with a book like Black Spire and just being all consumed by it. Uh, And then getting to talk about it with a good friend. Look at that. We are living the dream. We are living the dream. All right. I'm going to come in. We're going to go ahead and dig into Black Spire. And I'm going to come in with a super hot take. Ooh. All right. You ready for this? I don't know. This might be just in pure author's craft the best written, most engaging Star Wars book in the new canon. Love it, love it, because Delilah Dawson is my absolute favorite author, and this proves why. It, it is it's just phenomenal in terms of we're going to get into everything but just in terms of the themes of the characters of all the different types of characters of the world build everything in this book is just so good. It really I mean and the way that she executes I I think this is super interesting. Delilah Dawson is a much more I don't know necessarily if graphic is the correct term, but gritty and violent um, author than some of the other authors that we have had writing Star Wars books. I've mentioned the hit series, which if you should absolutely go read, where basically um, 
teenagers are getting hired to take out people uh, to become hitmen. Um, and, you know, that's obviously not simple subject matter. And she, it's not like she gets gruesome, but you have no no doubt about how real the situation is that's going on. And I really felt that in this book. Like, the, the tension was there from the get-go. So I think it's for two reasons. One, we're going into a character we're already familiar with. We're actually going into really two characters we're already familiar with. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying this is the perfect sequel to Phasma. I don't necessarily see it as a sequel. Um, I, I do think one of the key differences, though, and number two of why Delilah Dawson is just such an... Ex- an extremely amazing writer is because with her, she jumps into the story in a way that you don't realize you're not at the main plot yet. So a lot of other authors, they might be willing to take some of the chances she does later on, and they might be willing to be as gritty as she is, but they wait until they build everything up nice and slowly. And we understand the plot and we understand the tension and then they get into it. But Delilah Dawson, she picks up immediately from the tension between what's going on right after the battle of crate to pairing these two characters together very reluctantly. And then right into, okay, the ship crashed and they need to get their stuff back. And it's like every single thing she does sets it up where you think that's the plot of the story. I've been realizing as we've been discussing these books more and more often that we don't really get into the meat of the story until, you know, page 125, 150. And that's where things start to pick up. And that's where the big part of the story comes into play. But with Delilah Dawson, you could be on page 10 and you just think that what's going on at that time, it seems so high stakes that you just assume this has to be the entire overarching plot of the story. And it's not the case, but it makes it so quick and so easy to jump into and get through. And it's like she punches you in the gut from, you know, like you said, page 10 on. And I'm looking for exactly how long of a jump it is but the from the moment where uh leia gives vi her her mission and then everything with star killer happens it's like a solid what like six eight months or something like that that it skips um and and immediately i'm like wait a minute i want to know what happened all in between there yeah, and they allude to it, too. It's not like they just have a time jump and they're like, well, that's it. They allude to Green Squadron and all this other stuff that happened in that time period where it makes you interested and, yes, you want to feel it, but at the same time, you don't want to leave the story you're in because it's so engaging. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's that real emotional weight to start off with, with, like, Leia directly giving by this mission, um, the seeing the relationship there, seeing honestly the trust that Leia has in Vi mm-hmm. makes you really trust her to be the one to go on this mission um, and, and to to basically be left to her own devices in, in creating this rebel base. And then 
that idea is just torn away from you because of what happens, uh, you know, on Hosnian Prime and on Crate. And it's like you you want so badly to know, but at the same time you don't because of Rise of Skywalker coming out. It's it's a really difficult balance that I don't think a lot of authors could really strike very well. Um, and it says a lot about her as an author. So let's let's dig into kind of where Vi first gets to. Actually, let's dig into to that relationship between uh, Vi and and Cardinal, aka Archex. Uh, did how how did you feel about that relationship as it evolved throughout the story? So I really like this relationship because. Vi was a really nice way to see through that lens and relate to that relationship because she needed the reminder just as much as I did that Archex was a different person than Cardinal. And this was someone who's been through a lot and we need to give him that room to grow and basically just experience how he is without being brainwashed. You know, it's pretty early on that we realized one of the themes is going to be finding out who Cardinal is without the armor. And is the armor one person and Archex another? So seeing her struggle with that was really reassuring because it was like, okay, I'm not the only one. And then even seeing her so badly wanting to, it helped me. Because a lot of times I feel like any author other than Delilah Dawson, I would have thought this can't be happening. This doesn't make sense. He tortured her. There's no way she's going to accept him. But every other author would have had the main character also be reluctant and also have her walls up and push him away and not want to forgive him. Instead, we see this really empathetic character who understands he was brainwashed. This isn't him. Maybe he is a good guy. Maybe he wants to try. So the relationship felt really natural to me because I understood what Vi was thinking and I saw how badly she struggled in just wanting to make it happen. Uh, so I I really liked the relationship. I kind of wish, you know, if I did have any criticisms, it's that we would have seen them together more often. Unfortunately, when we got to understand this pairing, it was because of how Vi was talking about it or how Vi was thinking about it or how Cardinal was then, or I'm sorry, Archex was then thinking about it. We didn't really get to experience the two of them interact together as often as I would have liked. Yeah, that was one of the the things I kind of wondered about, uh, especially at the end with the sacrifice. I felt like it would have been a little more impactful if, I mean, that's, saying a lot because it was very impactful if we had spent more time with them um and and i don't know it it was so interesting because you had their their struggles with the trauma of, of the what they had gone through you know cardinal with finding out basically his whole life is a lie vi with with the torture that she had undergone and so their their paths were paralleling, but they didn't really cross over as much as I would have expected them to. It was like they almost had to keep each other at a distance because they were both entities that they didn't really understand. Yeah, and I think it really highlighted two of the major themes, probably the two biggest themes of this story, 
And the only way to do it is by having them separated where you can let the characters think this through and you can let the characters experience it. The first big uh, theme, though, is the way they phrase in this book is you have to remember trauma is traumatic. Yes. And it's not just for, for you. It's it's for the other person. Um, it actually really mirrored my favorite line from Master and Apprentice, which is you're more than the worst thing that's ever happened to you and you're more than the worst thing that you've ever done. Um, so I thought that was a nice extension. But yeah, trauma is traumatic. And seeing them try to wrap their heads around not only their own traumatic experiences, but having Archex wrapped his hat wrap his head around what he did to someone else. That was a really nice touch and something you have to keep them separated from. Uh, the second theme that it really highlights is the big question of, can someone change? Are they just one person and they are a sum- summation of every action they ever made? Or can they change? Can they evolve? Can we help each other grow? Does it have to be done on its own? Um, so there's just, you know, a lot of themes highlighted in the relationship between the two of them that you can only get by them not necessarily interacting all the time, I guess. Well, and I think there's also a factor of nature versus nurture, right? Because, you know, Cardinal was was nurtured to be this, you know, this creator of soldiers, this weapon. But Vi and Phasma notices his his nature is really, you know, almost pure it's really good he has good intentions uh in what he's doing it's just, it's very Aiden versio right like Aiden believes she's doing the right thing and has a moral standard and has a line that she doesn't want to cross that we've talked about before and you know part of the struggle that cardinal has in phasma is he's now crossing that line that he thought he he would never cross and Vi in the same way, like I feel like she naturally would want to be a little bit more aggressive um, to maybe f- fight first, ask questions later. Um, and, and she's, you know, that's her nature, but she's having to, to nurture herself into, you know, allowing herself not to push the trauma away, um, a- allowing herself to have these relationships, even though she knows they could be broken in an instant. And I just found that really interesting. And it really, it goes for for all the characters, right? Um, Oh, man, what was the the smuggler's name? He was my favorite character, too, and I just blanked on his name. Oh, Zade? Zade, thank you. Like, Zade's nature is, you know, to be more caring, you know, like he is for his partner who gets killed, but, but he's kind of created this persona of this outlandish guy. Um, the farmer boy, Dorian, he grew up in this environment, you know, kind of like Cardinal. He's kind of like a reverse of Cardinal almost in a way, you know, um, and, and he has to hmm. find what, what really matters to him. And I think that's the line with nature and nurture is, it doesn't really matter which one you're more of. It's a matter of what are you going to do about it? I actually really want to go back and talk about that dramatic foil between Dorian and um, Archex or Cardinal because one of the big topics of this book is really what does what makes someone a villain? We have 
by thinking about Cardinal. We have Ogo. Um, we have the First Order and the New Lieutenant. But there's there's a part, um, I'm looking at page 237, where Vi is actually talking about these different villains. And she's talking about specifically Oga. She says some, some villains like Oga were no-nonsense. And if you just did as they asked and stayed out of their way, they could be benevolent or at least ignore you. They technically weren't even villains until you got on their bad side. Some villains were conflicted. Um, and Vi could carefully twist the key inside them until something clicked open. Some villains were just straight up evil, like anyone with the last name Hux. But Kath seemed like the kind of villain who rode that fine line between reality and madness and hid it carefully under crisp pleats and hair product. Um, but that that's just this one example of Vi trying to figure out what really makes a villain. Can Archex be redeemed? But it seems like by the end of the story, she kind of takes a Dr. Afro approach and thinks that to be a villain, it means to take away someone else's agency. Mm. And that in her mind is really what Cardinal was doing to her and to even the younger stormtroopers in the first order. He was taking away their agency to think on their own, act on their own, make their own decisions. He understood it as I'm imposing order, but to her, the first order is evil because they're taking away that agency for other people. Whereas now we have the dramatic foil of, uh, the farm boy. What's his name? Dorian. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. See, now I forget that name, but He's interesting because he's kind of the victim of that his whole life. He spent his whole life on the other side of that because his grandmother and his village took away his ability to make any of his own choices. So he truly is that dramatic foil to Cardinal because he is just the victim of everything Cardinal would have done with the First Order. Yeah, and and there's an interesting... Dolan. Dolan? Is that what it is? Yeah, I knew I knew it was one of my friends' last name and still. <laughs> okay, all right. So Dolan, I thought Dorian sounded a little weird. Um, he is, yeah, he's kind of the reverse, kind of in the same way that the the Jedi of the prequels are the reverse of the First Order stormtroopers, right? Like the first first order stormtroopers get taken away and don't have any choice to become what they become unless they're, you know, internally strong like like Finn um in the same way that like the Jedi got taken when they were younger, right? And, and all these all these factions that we've had now are extremely flawed except for it seems the resistance. Like I get the intention or the understanding, if you will, in this book that the resistance is pure. Whereas we get Rogue One in the Rebellion and even in Rebels, and, and we know that they've done terrible things um, to, you know, the ends justify the means. But here, in a, in a book that really is quite uh, intense, you know, we... we like I said, Delilah Dawson is not over overly violent for the sake of violence, but she doesn't hold back when when violence is needed because she's telling a war story. But there is a an almost purity to 
the approach that the resistance is taking. Did you get that kind of understanding in the book? Yeah, and I don't know if I would necessarily agree that it's how the resistance is taking it, but that it's Vi. I'd be interested to see if we were to put up a character more along the lines of Cassian. Would we see the resistance through the same light? Uh, So right now we've kind of had these really, they're not bland characters. They're just so pure. You know, the the resistance characters we know are from very early on the um, Joff C. Striker in Bloodline. It's Poe in the Poe comics. And now it's Vi through Phasma and Resistance. And they're all so purely motivated and I think that is why that's that's really the only reflection we have of the resistance. I'd really be interested to get more of like a gritty Cassian Andor type character in the resistance and see if we would still feel that way. Yeah, it. But I almost wonder if those even exist. Like with Leia yeah. at the front, is is it kind of just like everybody knows where the buck ends? You, I'm. I'm reading the the last Jedi novelization and there's a moment right before the conversation between Leia and Haldo where the people who support Haldo and the people who support Poe are shooting at each other, shooting, you know, stun blasts at each other. And Leia walks in and is like, I just got back on my feet. Can we not do this right now? And everybody just stops and they're like, all right, I guess our problem is done. Like, it feels like there's just something they know we don't do that. And I don't even know what that is. But it'll be interesting as more Resistance stuff comes out leading up to, to Episode 9 as we get Season 2 of Resistance, um, how that how that kind of evolves. But you... You know, the, the only thing I ahead. can think of, though, just in to that point, is maybe that says a lot about Leia. Because as far as we know, the resistance is Leia. It's led by Leia. It's almost like a monarchy there. Whereas the rebellion, yeah, Mon Mothma was the face of it, but we saw that war council in Rogue One, and we know that there were multiple parties involved. We haven't really seen that from the resistance yet. And maybe that's why. Maybe with less competing factions, everyone is very, very, very clear on here is the mission and here is how we go about doing it as opposed to the rebellion, which was here's the overall idea of a mission. Everyone try and figure out how to do that. Um, well, it's kind so of like know, maybe, the resistance yeah. is like the reverse, the reverse of the rebellion. Whereas, you know, the rebellion was a whole bunch of these different sects coming together. Like the, the rebels crew that we had on star Wars rebels and, you know, they're coming together into one big thing. Whereas with the resistance, you know, we see in Bloodline, it starts with Leia and it's just always centered around that one point. So it's this one, I use big thing as a relative term, but this one big thing that then sends off, you know, people like Vi to do these other missions and to get other areas prepped. You know, so it's kind of like the the way it functions is different from the rebellion which i think allows for more of that i guess the higher standard you know of of what they're to me a hero is like there's a line that you're not willing to cross being a very very essential thing and i definitely felt that in this book um 
So let's let's kind of go into the the force aspect of this story because I really felt like going into this book, I, I expected it to be a lot more, I guess, Alphabet Squadron type, where it's it's very much just the the war end of things. And I was really surprised that the force and the way the force works was such a strong yes. aspect of this. And and I I absolutely love it. And, and it's probably my favorite part of the book, the idea of the gleam, which is everybody has, you know, is part of the force, but there's these certain people that the force gleams around. And they may not be able to, you know, lift rocks, but they are still conduits of the force in their own way. So what did you think of, like, how Delilah Dawson handled the force, the gleam, and just what that means for the overall story of Star Wars? I, again, big fan. It's now combining two of my favorite things, which is that religious aspect, that spiritual aspect of Star Wars with Delilah Dawson. Um, what more What more two things could I personally <laughs> possibly ask for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Um, I was really shocked, though, because as we are talking about, even just in this conversation, yeah, Delilah Dawson can jump right into it and she can be gritty and she can be violent when it calls for it. But this was the first time we saw her slow down a little bit and I was amazed at how vulnerable I felt reading it. And I really appreciated that I could apply it to any part of a Star Wars story. It wasn't confined to Black Spire. It wasn't confined to just the gatherers. I could say, all right, now that I have this, I can I can articulate what Maz is probably feeling and what all these other characters must see and feel through the Force without being Force-sensitive, what um, especially Lyra, Lyra Ursa would feel. Oh, yeah. Whereas as cool as Jedi and as cool as the Guardians of the Will, Will are, it's very isolated and we can't apply it to every character and we can't apply it to every story. It's, it's cool to learn more about and it's amazing to see how they applied certain things to their lives. But this was really the first time where we could take it and put it under the microscope and put it in every single story. And it still adds up. It still holds up and you can still relate it to other characters. Yeah, I mean, the character I almost immediately related it to was Han Solo. Oh, interesting, because I went with Maz. Why'd you go with Han Solo? Because, you know, there's, there's of course, that theory out there that Han is, is Force-sensitive and just doesn't right. know it. I don't subscribe to that particular theory. But the Force definitely does gleam around him because he's he's a fulcrum, if you will, of the original trilogy. Like, if he doesn't come back at the end of A New Hope, the Death Star probably doesn't get destroyed, and then, you know there's tyranny for generations you know um the going to you know rescue him on tatooine is pivotal to luke seeing himself as the the hero he thinks he wants to be and not really the hero he needs to become like all of this stuff centers around han solo and if everything is as the force wills it 
he would be one that I think the Force gleams around. They, there could have been a million star pilots that could have taken them to Alderaan, but the Force chose Han Solo to be that person. Uh, and it, it it just makes me think, you know, you have Ben Solo, who is this character who is so he's presented as so extremely powerful, even despite being so broken, who has equal capacity for light and dark. And of course, you know, he has the Skywalker lineage there, but then adding on this idea of the gleam and some of that, I guess, rubbing off on him from his father, that even though, you know, his father wasn't force sensitive, he is playing a role in the story of this galaxy. And, that's just what really stuck out to me with the way uh, Yelena presented it for for how the gatherers acted. I mean, even the way Savi then explains the point of the gatherers, I thought was phenomenal. That to me felt like a more important part of the story than how the Jedi and and they actually even I I almost glossed over this the first time. They talk about the Sith, too. The Gatherers aren't just interested in the light and the Jedi. They say that they really do study the Sith as well uh, and learn about the dark side and how they can protect that balance. But they're fully aware that they're, at best, observers, and they can hang on and they can choose to do what's right right or wrong, but they can't necessarily go out and affect the force and manipulate the force but yeah i guess they can take more of that han solo which is okay i'm being called to do this thing i gotta step up um so that's that's actually really interesting and really cool that you thought of han and why you thought of him as opposed to i just went straight to maz who seemed to have if we're ranking them it's like han solo is like level three gleamer whereas maz (laughs) is like level eight gleamer yeah i mean and, and Maz definitely has more of that connection with the Gatherers, I think, being a pirate formerly, but more specifically with the lightsaber, um, because she mentions having it for a while, um, and, and somewhere it's mentioned that she was holding on to it for the right person to come along, which, of course, is, is then Ray. And, you know, the Gatherers don't necessarily know why Savi's holding on to these things. I, I wonder... A little bit if Savi even knows why he's holding on to these things um, but they they could serve a greater purpose I I really like the idea with the gatherers and, and their the way that they help Vi with the way that they collect these artifacts that anybody can really be a part of the resistance in some way shape or form and, and Therefore, anybody can do good and anybody can help fight for the light, even if you're not on the front lines. I loved the fact that they weren't willing to enter the fight. They, they couldn't even directly connect themselves with the resistance, but they were there in the time of need to help out in whatever little way that they could. And that was just for me, you know, coming off of Crash of Fate, which we talked about being just a very... Um, kind of simple book in in terms of the the characters are just going through their their daily lives it's not caught up in the in the galactic politics and that ends with them kind of talking like maybe they're going to join the resistance and then in this book you get like the normal everyday person who sees evil in the galaxy but 
also has to face the reality of like, I've got to feed my family. And I also don't want to mess up the life that I understand here, which is a struggle that a lot of people at Black Spire have. And personally, I found that in and of itself, probably the most inspiring thing in the book. It was, yeah, I mean, it was inspiring. It was also a little unsettling because we would all want to think, yeah, of course I would step up and yeah, I would join this fight if I were in that position. But between the gatherers, between Dolan's village, we're kind of forced to face reality a little bit more and think, all right, so kind of like your 10 year olds. Yeah, I would, I would love to step up and do the right thing, but does that mean sacrificing my family's safety? Does that mean sacrificing their happiness and my time with them? So it's, it's inspiring because of the way it turns out. But up till then, I found it really deeply unsettling because you're forced to think about it and you're forced to put yourself in those positions where you have to make those decisions with all aspects in front of you. It's not like Luke or other aspects of the hero's journey where it's just, okay, here's the decision. Isn't it so convenient that your uncle's now dead and you don't really have anything holding you here? Yeah. Or Anakin with, yeah, here's this decision. Isn't it super convenient that your mom just so happens to be a slave and can't leave and there's nothing you can do about it? This one, this story really shows some heavy options that we have to weigh. Yeah, and, you know, to go back to to that, conversation I had with the students, you know, I really said to them, like, all right, like, be honest with yourself, you know, in in making this decision, because, of course, the answer they think they're supposed to give is, oh, absolutely, I would kill Hitler. Like, obviously, that's what you would do. You know, six million versus one. But then when I said, really be honest, you, you know, be this isn't a right or wrong thing. Be honest with what you actually think you would do. A lot of them were very honest and and talked about, I would absolutely pick my mom. I and, and I told them, I'm like, if it came down to it, I would absolutely pick my fiance without a shadow of a doubt. And there's a part of me that hates myself for that. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, and that's... You got to be honest about exactly. it. Exactly. And that's what I think they're, the, the people of Black Spire are having to face. They've been as this is one thing about the writing that bugged me as they're on the edge of the galaxy um that 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 phrase was in there a lot they are kind of disconnected from this greater struggle that's going on and then you know like they mentioned the struggle is going to come to you at one point or another you know it's the same thing we saw with the empire you can try to you know Jin can try to run away from it but eventually it's going to catch up to her you know um and that's kind of what they're they're having to deal with here is like Oga's a, a gangster, but I don't necessarily know if, if Oga is evil. I don't think I don't think she's a good person, but I don't know if she's evil. I, I think she just is a little power hungry. Whereas now you have a character like Kath come in that is absolutely one hundred percent pure evil personified. Yeah, it's such an interesting balance. I mean, and and maybe that's why the people of Batu are hesitant to join because they talk a lot about having that safety of Oga. Um, and I think a lot of them really do see it as a safety. Yeah, they have to pay the fee, but look at all the other things that they don't have to do because of it. Um, a lot of them 
don't realize what's to come. When we think about who's been touched by the First Order, even after the destruction of Hosnian Prime, it doesn't seem like that many. You know, we had in A New Hope, by that point, we already saw how the Empire was going in and just really screwing up these lives. We get the sense through everything else that we know about the First Order that wasn't the case here. It really wasn't tangible. If we if we we can really count on one hand if we think about it the amount of times that we've seen the first order go in and cause this destruction, one was with Vi as a child as we now know, two is with the children of Tahar in the Resistance, and then I guess three would really just be Jakku yeah. with Lor Santeca. But up until then, what I'm saying is the first order hasn't gone in and and messed things up the way that the empire has so it's hard to say i'm going to give everything up for a threat that might never happen you know how would your kids answers change if you said hitler thought about killing six million jews you know you yeah. can't you can't necessarily compare that and say i'm willing to step up and and take this action against it um well and there's historical context to that i mean like there of course is the nazi regime you know a lot of europe was like that problem's over in germany it's not going to come over here you know and then oh it's over in poland it may not come here uh looking at like napoleon same thing like oh you know let him rule that area over there and he'll be satisfied and move on but we've seen with leaders like palpatine and like snoke that you know greed feeds the greedy uh and you know those who seek power are afraid to lose it and that's kind of the same thing we have happening here um is yeah it's it's like they're not there and then they're there and that seems like a silly way to say it but it's like oh the first order like you said the first order is a threat that might eventually one day come around but it could be who knows what's going to happen between now and then and then all of a sudden they're there and they're beating up old ladies and and just doing like one thing i really like about the way the first order is being portrayed um in especially in these novels um but also in scenes like on jakku is they're not good like they're just not they're not good people and and i don't know if you necessarily got that so much with the stormtroopers of the empire um until like there's this there's scenes in rogue one where you get it but even rebels is a little more tempered in in terms of like what the stormtroopers are actually doing um they're more of a police force whereas here the stormtroopers are straight up bullies you know and and how did you feel about that moment where they were they were beating the old ladies and vi just had to like stand there and watch almost until you know she couldn't anymore all right so here's the thing with that scene and really the first order stormtroopers in general I agree with you that we don't see that, for lack of better better word, evilness with the Empire. That is very unique to the First Order. It's very amped up with the First Order. But at the same time, it's because these were kids that were brainwashed. 
with the empire, it was young adults and adults going in after being raised by their parents lovingly in most situations. These kids were truly babies. They were brainwashed. They don't know any better. And all I could think of in scenes like that one was who is the real problem here from the point of view of the other citizens. If I, I have to be totally honest, Brandon, if I were on Batu and I were a citizen watching a stormtrooper do that to an old person in my village, I would, yeah, I would be angry with the stormtrooper, but I would also be angry with Vi and the resistance because they did technically bring them there. That's another question we have to address with this book is did the resistance kind of mess things up there? Did they really bring this evil upon them? Could Batu have been safe for a lot longer had the resistance not shown up? You know, the only analogy I can really think of off the top of my head is if you have a cat and let's say a mouse comes into your house and a mouse is running around so the cat just chases it and breaks a lamp. Yeah, your gut reaction is going to be to get mad at the cat, but the problem isn't the cat. The problem is that you had a way that a mouse got into your your living room. And that's what you have to address. You have to fix the hole. You have to make sure the mouse isn't going to come back again. Otherwise, yeah, of course the cat is going to accidentally break something. It's their nature. They don't know how to do anything differently. Well, I think the the real issue is that for some reason you decided to buy a cat. <laughs> Buzz would never do that. Um, no, that's a <laughs> he he likes cats. Buzz being Buzz for anyone listening is Brandon's phenomenal dog. Uh, but yeah, I would have to agree. Dogs, um, dogs but, wouldn't do that, but a cat would. But a cat would. No, in all seriousness, though, I I do like that analogy and. I don't know if we get a stormtrooper uprising in episode nine, but I would be interested to know what happens to these first order stormtroopers after the resistance wins. You know, like mm. I think a lot of the stormtroopers were given, you know, I- I'm assuming we're given a second chance. This is something we need. We need a little more of is like those, the grunt workers of the empire, the grunt workers of the resistance or excuse me, the first order, like what happens to them? We get some of that in alphabet squadron. Um, and I'd be interested to see like, because you, as you mentioned, it's a, a completely different thing. And we see Archek struggling with that of like, I, I know what is wrong now, but I don't know what is right. Oh, that's such a good way to put how he's struggling with it. That's such a good way to put it. And like, and then the first order, you know, on a, you, you take that and you amp it up to, you know, as we see on, on Starkiller, you know, thousands and thousands of stormtroopers, you know, it's a significant portion of a significant portion of the galaxy. And there's got, I mean, we see it with Finn. There's a complete identity crisis when when you come out of that. We see it with Cardinal. There's this identity crisis of like, I don't know what I am, but I know I'm not all this meditating on on Sur- uh, what's the planet's name? Man, I cannot remember things today. Surya. Surya. Yeah, yeah. It's where yeah. Kiadimandu's from. Um, like, 
I know this, this this stuff isn't for me, but I also don't know what is for me. It's weird because it's like being born, but you're a full adult. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and he and you can feel him really struggling with it. And it's um again I can't praise Delilah Dawson enough because I think a lot of other authors would have put you in a position where you have this blueprint about who Archex is and who he could be, and you're frustrated because he's not getting there. And a lot of authors I think would have relied on the tension being in you know his growth potential and he's just not doing it fast enough. She puts you in his shoes, though, and now the tension is coming from, I really, I, I know he wants to be better. I just can't even picture myself what that would look like. Well, and, you know, even though he does sacrifice himself for the right reasons, does he ever really become that better person? Um, or I guess that's not the best way to say it. Does he ever really fully realize that? Like, do you think that end moment, while it is, I think, redemptive, do you think he walks in there knowing knowing he's going to die? I think he does. But does he walk in there knowing who he is? I don't think he walks in there knowing who he is. And I think that's part of the reason why he does it. Well, and for me, like the fact that he becomes Cardinal again, um, he puts on this facade. Mm-hmm. It's It's like... I'm going to use the identity that I understand to do the one thing I know is the right thing. Um, yeah. Because... I mean, even... Go ahead. No, sorry, no, go, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, even if memory serves, it wasn't even red armor. It was painted red armor, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, it's it's a complete yeah, facade. Yeah, so it's like, I'm going to really take on this facade, and I'm going to make other people think that I'm picking this mantle back up, but I can't even bring myself to do it. And, I mean, it's also, you know, he had to create that armor because he's created this image of who he is, um, both as Archex and as Cardinal. And and because I, like, here's the thing. The stuff that he likes about Cardinal isn't bad. He likes the order. He likes the discipline. He likes the the knowing what's going to happen next. He likes understanding his environment. Like, those aren't inherently bad things. It's what he was doing it in service of, right? So taking up that mantle once again in service of the light is the right thing for him to do. But I don't know if I don't know if he ever really fully knows, like understood that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. It's the whole the whole ending was really interesting because you had just all these different people from all these different perspectives, you know, Dolan, you had Cardinal, you had Vi, you had the gatherers who are all approaching this fight in a different way. Um, and, and I found that really compelling because one thing, one thing the new canon has done is, is give us this much broader perspective that I don't necessarily feel like we got in at least the expanded universe that I've read because it stuck very much with the Jedi, the Sith, or you're with like bounty hunters. Um, yeah. With few exceptions. Yeah. Empire, post empire. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. And, and it was a little more clear, you know, like you're either on this side or you're on that side. Whereas here 
we're getting more of that mixed bag. And and I find that really interesting because, you know, like we talked about with Crash of Fate, like you can identify, everybody can identify with one or the other of those characters. I feel like this book has a character that everyone can also identify with. Like, I'm a little bit cardinal, you know, in, in terms of like liking the predictability of things, but I'm also very Yelena, you know, because I... I want to do the right thing i want to help those who are trying to do the right thing but i'm definitely not a person that's going to be at the front line so i mean i think i mean i think really what what you might be trying to say is the characters in this book kind of shuffle the deck a little Mm. and what i mean by that is especially old expanded universe but even a lot more current stories star wars kind of has tropes within tropes you know, it has the typical fantasy elements, and then we have the Sith tro- tropes, the bounty hunters, everything that you were, you had mentioned, and each one of those has their own characteristics. Jedi are strong, yes, but they're peaceful, and they are nurturing, whereas bounty hunters, they're rough and tumble, but they also have their own code of ethics. This book and this story specifically takes all those characteristics that you find within each individual tropes, shuffles the deck, and is like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of the Jedi, one from a bounty hunter, and one from a senator, and make a character. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. I mean, it, it really does, because... You know, Star Wars is such a big galaxy when we limit these characters to... I mean, that's part of the the problem with Anakin is he got limited to being the chosen one. And so in that, he wasn't allowed to fully express himself. Whereas I think Vi allows that for the people around her. Um, And so you get those different layers of personality. Do you think... Because you mentioned earlier, you know, like reading into leadership and kind of that's the direction you're moving with your career. Do you find Vi to be a good leader? I don't yet. Um, I think her greatest strength as a leader is that she would say the same thing. Mm. I think she has potential to grow into one. But right now she doesn't quite understand how to make everyone see the vision she sees. I think she's she's excellent at finding people's strengths and finding them kind of little tasks and side missions to do to best utilize those strengths. But she, I think, struggles with getting everyone around her to... And actually, this is really something that we see her struggle with that Zayd excels in is how do I get people to understand why they should pick up arms and join me? How do I get them to see... Not just what we're fighting against, but what the end vision is. What's the goal? You know, as Rose would say, it's not fighting what we hate, but, um, but you know. Saving in, what we love. There we go. Saving. Um, she struggles with getting people to see that. And I think that's a crucial part of being a strong, effective leader. And also she, I, th- I think there's a lot said in this book about how leaders bring their own baggage into situations, right? Like, she's thrust into this position of leadership with, I mean, 
for all intents and purposes, no real experience being a leader. She's been a spy, which is a very isolated experience. But then also she's just come off this extremely traumatic experience. She gets more traumatic experiences here, and she has to learn how to to be that leader with those things still weighing on her heart. You know, and, and like we talked about earlier, trauma is traumatic and it's not something that, you know, goes away as easily as I think some stories try to make it seem like it does. Um, you know, we can we can learn to live with it. We can learn to even car- compartmentalize it, but the trauma never fully leaves. I don't think there was ever going to be a point where Vi was going to be able to look at Archex and not at least in some way see Cardinal, but she still has to find a way to be the leader for him. Uh, you know, the mother hen, as mm-hmm. they call her here. <laughs> you know, and, and I loved that uh, that kind of analogy for her because, you know, she she really did want to protect them and want to take the best care of them. But at the same time, you know, I know chickens don't really fly, but she's got to let the birds out of the nest a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, yeah. and that was an interesting struggle. I will be honest in Phasma Vi is nowhere near my favorite character. I, I found her not, I don't think she was a bad character. I didn't find her extremely compelling. She was a conduit for the yes. story. Perfect it, word for it. Yeah. In here, oh my God. Like, I'm like, I want to go to Galaxy's Edge and meet Vi now. Like, I want to join the yeah. resistance. It, and, yeah. and that says a lot. She, she moves things along. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it says a lot. I mean, uh, once again, it says a lot about Delilah Dawson, but it, it says a lot about that, that character that you know when the time comes she's the one that step up steps up to the plate she's the one and and this i found extremely powerful she's the one who steps in willingly to get tortured again to protect everybody else yeah which is i mean i personally was shocked when i saw that she was going to be such a big role in this story and just seeing her even on the cover that first time i was like that's a weird pick uh, I mean, I'm excited for it. I'm excited because it's Delilah Dawson. It'll be interesting to see where that character goes. But I wasn't excited. Whereas now, if, you know, two years from now, we get another book and Vi's on the cover. Yeah, I'm going to be excited. I wonder if, like, m- the potential is there for this to be not necessarily uh, a series or a trilogy or anything like that. You know, we kind of have Phasma that leads directly into Black Spire, and the events in Phasma affect Black Spire. I would like to see something, you know, continue on this story with the First Order um, and the Resistance fighting on Bat on Batu. Which, I mean, yeah. I think isn't that the the story of the the Rise of the Resistance ride at Galaxy's Edge is supposed to bump up right to where the story ends, right? Correct. Okay. And now that you said that, so I was going to say it's not even that I necessarily want to see Vi or these characters in that regards again. Um, I would love kind of like an early missions Vi and find out a little more there. What I would really like as a continuation of this story, though, is to find out more about Gr- uh, Green Squadron and who they are, what their mission was, what they were doing in this story, and what was so important 
now I'm wondering if maybe part of Rise of the Resistance is are we Green, green Squad driven? Mm. Are you know is is this going to be you know audience participation <laughs> type thing or is it something totally separate? And do we actually get to see what exactly they were doing uh, that ran parallel to this story? And most importantly, is Dolan there? <gasps> Dolan, how do I, you remember his name? I I know. I really liked him a lot. I was like, it, he kind of, there was a bit of the Amish to him, but he's just kind of a, a country redneck who like just wanted to live his simple life on his farm. And I love that. I mean, was, uh, but you know, when it came down to it, he, he stepped in and, and, you know, stepped up to the plate and was yeah. instrumental in, you know, bringing people in to help fight that final battle. And I, and, I love once again, you know, the take that this book has on trauma, the fact that he starts off, you know, thinking, all right, like I'm going to bring all my friends in and we're going to ride in on our crank bikes and, you know, like knights in shining armor. And then to see them die um, and to look at their bodies and, and just the struggle that he has to go with that, like, he's the one that led them there. And, you know, is he to quote unquote blame for for that? Yeah, it actually would be interesting to see how he deals with that. For me, though, it was I was so much more intrigued by um, Lena and the Gatherers and Savvy. I would kill to see more about Savvy and Laura Santeca's relationship. Oh yeah, what's going on with the Gatherers? If if I had to really pick any one character or subset of characters that I like the most about this book, it would have to be them. Oh, yeah. No, they are definitely my top. Um, I totally agree with you there. And what is Savvy's role at Galaxy's Edge? Like, he um, he owns the shop where you can go and, like, build lightsabers. So okay. it looks like they, they give you some kind of like card you can go in and say that you earned it and you go into the secret part of his workshop and that's where you can see the materials and build your own lightsaber okay that's what i was kind of leaning towards but i couldn't remember exactly this book and we talked about this with uh crash your fate zarada cordova does such a good job of bringing in these aspects of galaxy's edge um and, and get aspects of the larger galaxy um and i feel like delilah dawson did that super well here except for that one little thing where she says edge of galaxy like seven times i don't know why <laughs> i was just like oh that that was just i don't know it was just an eye roll for me other than that i mean again you feel like and i wonder if just the idea that batu is out there and it is there for us to go to helps it feel a little more real in this story um but all the experiences we've had on batu you know even in the comics which i'm not super crazy about the black spire comics or not black spire the galaxy's edge comics um you still you you really understand what it's like to be there on batu um and to be able to execute that across so many mediums is is really, I mean, a testament to the story group and to the creators yeah. that they're bringing on onto these projects. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the risk that they're willing to take and the faith that they're cl clearly putting in their people 
to say, yeah, we can make this happen. This is going to be successful on all these different fronts. We'll invest this much into it. It, it really does show how much faith they have in the people that they work with. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, was there anything else that we hadn't covered yet that you wanted to uh, kind of dig into? Um, other than that, Delilah Dawson's writing is perfect and I love it. Um, I don't know, just really to me, it, it takes on the mantle of the new things that we have seen being explored in the new canon, the mm. effects of trauma, what makes a villain. We've seen it all the way from, uh, aftermath up through this. And I really like playing around with these more adult themes. I liked crash of fate, like I said, and having that break from, the seriousness and the magnitude of it all. But it was so cool to jump back into it and go really heavy and not hold back from these more thought provoking themes. And I think that this book does that probably more effective than any other book in the canon has done. Um, Cause it, like you said, it's been a theme throughout personally. I don't feel like aftermath did a super good job of executing on that. Um, we do have like instances that are well done for like side characters like Nash Windrider on uh, in Lost Stars, uh, but that's a that's a side character. Um, Alphabet Squadron, you know, we talked with the guys from Sith Talk, and that kind of changed my outlook on that book. I need to go back and revisit it. But in in terms of those adult themes, in particularly the the trauma, the PTSD, those things that they're having to deal with uh i think black spire may be the best of the bunch it's it is for that bunch yeah. yeah um i still really you know if we needed to absolutely had to rank things um master and apprentice is still really up there for me but i think a big part of that is just that i do like the force and i do like the jedi and everything yeah um I mean, but yeah, this this book is something else. It takes it to a new level. Yeah, definitely just for that much. Personally, and that's because I'm kind of like you. I like the Force stuff. I like more of the mystical fantasy aspect of things. Um, in just terms of like my personal opinion of books I would pick up off the shelf, this probably wouldn't be in my top five. But in terms of the writing craft and the story and the way it was told, um, it's up there with i mean claudia gray you know uh i mean i would i would put them 1a and and 1b um because this book it just blew my mind how it had been a while since it had probably been since master and apprentice since i read a book and i was just like i how can i stay awake longer to keep reading this and not that the other ones were bad but they were, you know, I was I was reading them and then I would fall asleep and I would, you know, keep reading or whatever. And this one, I just like, I want to get through this all as soon as possible because the tension was so intense. You just didn't have a chance to catch your breath. So another great addition by Delilah Dawson. Do we know what her next uh, book is that she's going to be? I know we have the Skywalker kind of, not picture we book, but coffee table that, book. Um. I can't confirm it off the top of my head, but I'm 98% sure she's part of Project Luminous. Um, And I know just from her Twitter feed, she's actually been doing a good amount with Marvel as well. Okay. And if there's any publishers listening, 
give her a deal for the third book Please. of the hit series, Please. You Cowards. <laughs> I, oh, God. I mean, I that that series is so good. And I read the first two books. I say the first two books, keeping the hope that we'll get that third one. Um, and it didn't get picked up for the third one. And it ends on this cliffhanger. I'm like, what? No, you can't just end things oh. there. Um, anyways, Delilah Dawson is uh, a fantastic author. Um, I personally have enjoyed all of her books, um, but just as as a writer and you know someone who teaches writing, just the appreciation I have for the way that she executes these things is is absolutely amazing. So let's imagine, of course, Delilah Dawson would be the one one doing it. But if we have a sequel to Black Spire in some mm-hmm. form or another, or something around um, connected to Black Spire. What do you want to see? Uh, like I said, I would love to learn more about the gatherers. Um, but being that they are a little bit more peaceful, I don't think I would want a novel for that. Uh, I think I would. I'd actually really like something more along the lines of the Jedi Lost audio drama for that. Mm. Um, if it was Delilah Dawson doing something, I would want to learn more about Green Squadron. I find it. I would find it really interesting to see kind of like a a Batu series. Um, mm. y- you know, of course, you could film it at Galaxy's Edge, which would be super cool. Uh, but kind of a a drama six to eight episode Netflix kind of series of you know just the the mystery and intrigue and and the balance that goes on on black spire between doc ondar and oga and savvy and and just all these wonderful characters because the the last two books that we've gotten i mean there hasn't been a single character that i even felt moderately about i have absolutely loved every character presented by Zorada cordova and delilah dawson in these galaxy galaxy's edge books and this kind of completes the the galaxy's edge series to date right um yeah it does so we so we kind of yeah you're right in a way we kind of have a trilogy between the comics and the crash of fate and black spire and and i mean shoot if i didn't want to go to galaxy's edge before <laughs> i mean i definitely <laughs> do, now. do it i mean you're gonna have to report back on the next episode because oh well, i will we'll trust to, me lots of updates we'll have to uh talk about like what in the books, you know, actually felt the same and, and things like that. But that will be for the next episode of Don't Burn the Sacred Text. Um, for our next book review, I think it will be Resistance Reborn. Is that the next one that comes out? I think there might be some junior ones if we want to do it. I, I do um, want to talk about the what's the one with Ray on the cover and the first order stormtrooper in the back. I know exactly which one you're talking about. There's because there's it has rise the of resistance in it. Because there's rise of resistance. Spark is it? Spark of resistance. I don't know. Hold on. I'm gonna. We're gonna cut this part out. But I'm gonna Google this right now. New canon. No. Journey to the rise. Yeah, of spark Skywalker. of the resistance. Right. Oh wait. When does Force Collector come out? Oh, yeah. So there's Resistance Reborn. Uh, Force Collector comes out on the 19th. Resistance Reborn comes out 
on the 12th of November. Mm. So we get them a week apart. Um, and then yeah. there is the, I'm trying to find it right now, Spark of Resistance, yeah, that comes yeah. out in October. So we'll okay. so let's do that one next. We'll do Spark of Resistance because I feel like that's going to be pretty impactful um, and a pretty interesting story. We may just do a shorter episode on that one. And then, uh, God, it'll be full I mean, speed ahead maybe to episode though- nine. Maybe we could throw some fillers in with one or two more interviews or something. Uh, we may be able to do that. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Um, yeah. Stay tuned. More's coming. Who knows? Again, subscribe to the feed, guys. Like, I'm not just saying that because I want you to subscribe to our feed. I'm saying that because you're going to want to hear the people that we're talking to. If Claudia Gray and Vanessa Marshall didn't convince you, ladies and gentlemen... Hit that subscribe well, button. Come on. Also, follow us on Twitter, at Clashing Savers. Uh, send us your thoughts on Black Spire. Come over and hang out with us on Facebook, Clashing Sabers Star Wars community over there. Uh, you can find us on whatever podcatcher you're probably listening to right now. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with us. You can send us an email. You can send us a text or a voicemail uh, with your thoughts. Our phone number is, wait for it, 832-966-0077. Lindsay, what did I miss? I think you covered everything. You guys can also find me personally on Twitter at the Lady of Lore. We can talk about all things Star Wars or just the funny things that happen at work or when my mom calls me. And you can also find her over on Sith Talk, where apparently she is you know twilighting <laughs> yeah. i really make out like a bandit when one of those guys goes on vacation <laughs> <laughs> just there all the time no we love those guys from sith talk uh and we definitely want to have them on again uh here in the near future but until then keep reading keep writing whatever you do don't burn the sacred text all right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. 